One of the problems in our current generation is that we are used to watching television and movies. It wasn't too long ago that the radio was invented and you would hear stories on the radio and people would use their imaginations to complete the picture. And sometimes your imagination is even better than Hollywood's special effects. Yeah. Uh, that imagination was so good that there was a, uh, a radio program called The War of the Worlds, and everybody would panic and call their local police because they were in fear that aliens from Mars had landed and was taking over the world. And so our imaginations can be um, very strong. So what I want you to do when we're taking a look at this particular passage, I want you not to use your imagination in the sense of to change what the scriptures say, but to use your imagination to bring it to life, to see in your mind's eye what's happening. Because I think this is an excellent, if you will, short movie that has mystery and some clues, has sadness and some comedic relief. And so I want us to take a look at, and on top of that, there is some tremendous teaching that takes place at this time. And so this is getting near to the time that Jesus will enter Jerusalem for his final time during his earthly ministry, but not his final time because he's coming back. And so in John chapter 11, it says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Now to bring you back, this was when Jesus had accepted an invitation to from a Pharisee to dine at his home, and that Mary anointed Jesus' feet, wept, and cleaned his feet, and dried them off with her hair. And the religious leaders were uh, very condemnatory of Jesus, saying, well, if this man was such a prophet, how could he let such a sinner touch him? It's that Mary. So they're making it clear because there are a number of Marys in the Gospels. So the Mary who was viewed as a sinner, the Mary who kissed and washed Jesus' feet with her tears. And so the sisters sent word to him, thus Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, said this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now I want you to, to remember that. I want you to see that they loved Jesus so much so that Mary outpoured her love and gratitude on Jesus when no one thought it was appropriate. And it says here that Jesus loved, and it goes through, it doesn't just say Lazarus, it didn't just say Mary, it didn't just say Martha, that Jesus loved Lazarus and Martha and Mary 
So he loved them. But he was saying, and he gives a clue, that this is not going to end in death. I want you to notice that clue. But that God the Father might be glorified and that God the Son might be glorified. And we're going to see in a moment where some other reasons for it. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, I want you to notice that the Scriptures makes it very clear that he loved all three. But he stayed two more days. There are times when God doesn't immediately respond to our requests. And we wonder, well, does he love me? Does he care about me? Because if he loved me, if he cared about me, he would immediately come to my aid. And the scriptures here makes it very clear that Jesus stayed, not because he didn't care, but because he loved them. But there's something else that's going to take place, that the glory of God might be seen. There was, and I've shared this with you, a pastor who had lost an adult child. And another pastor was counseling with him. And the one thing that this pastor told the other pastor was, never let what you know about God be taken away by what you don't know about God. And what we know about God is that he loves you and that he loves me, just as he loved Lazarus and Martha and Mary. So why he may or may not come to our aid as quickly as we want him to, the question is not that he doesn't love us. So don't let that seemingly delay affect you. And we even teach that God loves us to our children. We teach it in a simple song. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And so we sing it, we show it in the scriptures, we read it in the scriptures, and we see that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so this delay has nothing to do with Jesus' love. And when Jesus delays coming to your rescue or to your answer to prayers, and it seems that it's taking longer than you want, don't doubt that it's the reason is because he doesn't love you. There may be something else going on. So he stayed there two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? So his disciples are going, wait a minute. We went and left Judea because they were trying to stone you. They're trying to kill you. Is that such a good idea to go back to Judea? Because we're going to see a little bit. Bethany is very, very close to Jerusalem. It's in Judea where the opposition is. And so they're warning him. And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Jesus is going to use 
an analogy of the world to talk about spiritual reality. He's saying when it's daylight, that's when you venture out and go on your journey. But when it's night, you don't because you're afraid to fall in a pit or stumble across a rock or whatever. But just as similarly, when that spiritual light is not in you, not the light from outside, not the light of the world, but the spirit that is in us, we might stumble. This he said, and after that, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. Now, Jesus is not using sleep as a metaphor for death because he doesn't like the term death. The scriptures tend to talk about when believers exit this world. They sleep. Even in the Old Testament, he went to sleep with his fathers. And Jesus is saying, because for the believer, death is not final. Death is not in life. Your, the body simply rests. And so his disciples misunderstand and says, so let's go and awaken him out of his sleep. And the disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Their attitude is, wait a minute. If he's sick and he's fallen asleep, then by our medical understanding, that's good for the body and he will recover. Why risk going to Judea where they want to stone you when everything is going to be okay anyway? It's great to have such counsel, isn't it? Now Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Now, this is where there's a clue that Jesus gave earlier. Because he said that this was not going to end in death. He never said there was going to be no death. That it would not end that way. So he says, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. A third reason that Jesus didn't respond immediately to Mary and Martha. The glory of the Father, the glory of the Son, and strengthening the belief of the disciples. So he says, I'm glad I wasn't there because now it's going to help you to believe. But let us go to him. Therefore, Thomas, who is called Didymus, Didymus means twin. So apparently, Thomas was one of, of a set of twins. And said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now see, they still don't quite understand what Jesus is doing. They're thinking, well, let's go to Lazarus because Lazarus is dead, which means let's meet Lazarus dead. And Thomas, being very valiant and very um, loyal, says, let's go die with Jesus. 
It's always interesting that they're willing to do these things until the crucifixion. Then they're not to be seen. So they're thinking, okay, Jesus is going to die with Lazarus. We're going to go, and we're going to die as martyrs. Let's go with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Four days. Jesus probably took at least a day to get message to him. He stayed two more days. Probably took him at least a day to get there. So he's been dead four days in his tomb. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. During this time, and this is where I want you to use your imagination, if you will. In the Jewish context of that day, to express your love and, and sorrow for the family, you wail. And you just didn't... <laughs> You cried out, you screamed, you wailed. So much so that if there wasn't sufficient people wailing for you, they'd hire somebody. You know, we, we today, what we do instead of, of wailing, we make up good things about the guy who died. So much so that we're wondering, is that the guy I knew that's being buried? Because I didn't see him that way. But, you know, we come up with, it's not good to speak evil of the dead. So instead of wailing and crying, we make up stuff. They, to make sure that everybody thought this guy was a worthy guy and how sad it is for the family, they wailed and cried and let it be known. So many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. And Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but married stayed at the house. Now I find it interesting, the switch of the two sisters. Because previously when it talked about them being at their house, Martha complained that Mary sat at Jesus' feet while Martha was busy working. And it is Martha who runs to see Jesus and Mary stays there. We're not told why. We can speculate. It might be she's a little upset with Jesus that he didn't respond. She might be a little, well, I love him, but maybe he doesn't love me. We don't know, but we know she stays there and Martha goes. And Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now she has partial faith, if you will. She understands that Jesus has the power to heal. And that if Jesus were there, that Lazarus could have been healed. But it's only partial faith. Why? Because there were those, such as the centurion's servant, who Jesus healed from afar. There was a father who came to Jesus because his child was sick unto death, and Jesus healed from afar. It is not necessary for Jesus to be there to heal. And it is not necessary for you to feel that Jesus is here for Jesus to work. 
And so she has partial faith. She understands that Jesus could have done something, but she didn't understand the full context of just who Jesus is because Jesus' power is not limited by time or space or anything else. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Interesting statement. She again understands the connection between God the Son and God the Father, and that they're close connection so much so that whenever the God the Son asks God the Father, God the Father will do. But notice, Jesus says, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now my thought would be, based on her comment, you're going to raise him from the dead? Because anything you ask of the Father, the Father will give you. And since you weren't here before he died, maybe you can ask him now, and he'll rise from the dead. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. You see, Martha had a good theology. Martha understood better than the Sadducees that there was a resurrection and that her brother would be a part of that resurrection. She understands the theology. She doesn't understand the person. And Jesus said to her, I am. I am is very important because I am is the name of God. I am that I am. I am not a way of the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus isn't just a way somewhere. Jesus is the way. He is the resurrection. And he is the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. This is one of the many proof texts in the scriptures when I tell you that it isn't life, death, and life again. It is eternal life. Jesus says, if you believe, you will never die. If you will, just as Jesus gave in his brief description to his disciples. This will not end in death. Your life as a believer will not end in death. Do you believe this? Not just about the theology. Do you believe, not that there will be a resurrection, but that I am the resurrection and that I am the life. And she said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Martha makes that confession of faith. Not only do I have my theology, I understand who it is that you are. And when she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and coming to him, 
So again, Mary doesn't waste any time. As soon as she hears that Jesus has asked for her, and Martha doesn't make a big public scene of this, she secretly tells her so that Mary might go quietly to Jesus and have that discussion. And how often is it that we need to go quietly to Jesus and have a discussion when it seems that he let us down? Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. So again, they're good weepers. They're good consolers. Let's go with Mary, because the whole point is to console Mary. and make her. So if she's, she's probably going to the tomb. She's probably feeling bad. So let's go and make her feel better. So they get up, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet. Again, we see Mary constantly, always at the feet of Jesus, always being subservient to who he is, always acknowledging who he is. But she makes the same mistake as Martha. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She says basically the very exact same thing that Martha did. Jesus, if you'd only been here, he wouldn't have died. I don't know what took you four days after his death to get here. But if you'd have been here, he would have not have died. And notice she does Jesus' response. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? Jesus' response isn't to give Mary the same discussion about who he is as he did with Martha. He simply goes, where'd you lay him? And he sees the trouble in spirit that Mary has. He's seen the trouble in spirit that Martha had. He sees the Jews who are attempting to console her and their and they said to him, Lord, come and see. The next two words are the shortest scripture in the Bible. Jesus wept. I have considered those words. I have looked at what the commentaries say. And I'm going to give you an honest answer to why Jesus wept. I don't know. I see that he has compassion for the people because they're crying. But I know before this whole incident started, he knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead because it was not going to end in death. Was he crying because they're missing the point? Was he crying because Jesus is so compassionate that even when people grieve, wrongly, that he's still touched by it? Does he weep because he's going to wake Lazarus from the grave when 
We all say this to make ourselves better, feel better, because Lazarus is in a better place. And now he's going to bring him back. I don't know the reason that Jesus wept. And I suspect none of us will until we see him face to face. But Jesus, because of his great compassion, wept. And so the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man also from dying? So even the crowd saying, well, you know, Jesus has this ability to heal. He can even heal the blind. So he could have kept this man from dying. Where was he? So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. So we have this idea that, that like we do, we either put people in the ground or sometimes we put it in a, in a crypt where it's a mausoleum and we slide a, a uh, casket in there. But in this, there's basically a cave. You put the body in the cave and you put a stone over it, prevents everything from grave robbers to the de decomposition of the body. So it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, being the practical one, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. There is decomposition going on here, Jesus. I know you could have kept him from dying, but not only is he dead, he's been dead for four days. Now his disciples have seen Jesus raise at least two other people from the dead. He saw him raise a little girl during the funeral march. He saw him raise a son of a widow. But these were people who were going to be buried, but had recently been deceased. Martha's saying, you sure you want to do this? Because by now, the body stinks. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Here's the point. What God is going to do through Jesus, the Son, is to give God the Father and God the Son glory. Maybe we should be a little more patient when we ask God to intervene in our lives because maybe there is something that God wants to do to demonstrate his glory. Now let's face it. If you're sick, and God heals you, he's worthy of praise. If you're dead four days, and he raises you from the dead, he's entitled a whole lot of praise. Maybe the rest of your life kind of praise. Because you would be in that tomb the rest of the time instead of singing glory to God. So they removed the stone. 
Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have, notice the past tense, have heard me. Jesus is not praying God to do something. He already and the Father already talked. His prayer is not for God's benefit or his benefit. His prayer is for the public benefit. So he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I have said it so that they may believe that you sent me. Another reason that God didn't answer the two sisters' request to come and heal Jesus was for the glory of God, for the glory of the Son, for those disciples who might strengthen their belief and for those who are standing around now that they might believe. Revival's about to break out here because God didn't answer immediately. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Now we're going to have this great sorrow Jesus even weeps at the view of all the people weeping and their mourning and all of this. And now we're going to have a little comedic relief. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around him with cloth. Now I want you, I'm going to help you with your imagination. But I want you to see what's happening. You've all seen mummy movies where the mummy's all wrapped up in, in, in uh, strips of what? Now, in the mummy movies, the mummies walk. But this says he's bound. And so basically what's happening is Jesus calls forth for Lazarus to, to come forth. And Lazarus is doing this. He's attempting to obey, but he's bound with wrappings and his face is covered. And I think this is funny. You don't see every day a guy going, listening to Jesus and coming forth from, he didn't say, go in there and get the body out. He says, Lazarus, come forth. He told Lazarus to do the moving. And here is praise to God. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So the people there took the wrappings off of Lazarus so that he no longer would be bound, so that he would be free, alive. He doesn't stink, but he's alive. Now here's the sad thing. You and me, we have been dead in our sins and trespasses. And Jesus has made us alive. And Jesus has called forth for us to come. But unfortunately, it seems that too many of us are still wrapped in the dead clothes. We are bound by the things that held us deaf when we are alive. We need to get out of the boundary of death and it's covering and walk in newness of life.
Now, Lazarus had to have some help. And you and I probably need help as well. We need other people to encourage us, to give us the word, to strengthen us, to say, it's okay. Sometimes it doesn't feel like God has hurt us, but we know that God loves us and that he will come. Paul tells us that we're supposed to take off the old clothes and put on the new clothes of righteousness. We just don't think about the old clothes being dead clothes, being the clothes that we were buried in. At least Lazarus, while he was bound, kept moving to the Lord. And maybe you and I, still bound, keep moving to the Lord. But Jesus told them to unbind him. And Jesus has told us to be unbound and be clothed in righteousness. So let's keep jump, stop jumping up and down and moving to him. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what had been done, believed him. There's that other group of people who, because Jesus delayed in his arrival, changed from healing to resurrection. And there were those who believed. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. You always got somebody who's got a tattletale. Because yeah. everybody already knows that the Pharisees don't like Jesus. So you, 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 let me tell you what Jesus just did. There's this guy named Lazarus in Bethany, two miles off. We just got raised from the dead by Jesus. They're not telling them because they're wanting to witness. They're telling them because they want them to do something about Jesus. Therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council called the Sanhedrin. And were saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. Now, I find this interesting. Because what is it that Jesus, they keep asking Jesus, will you perform a sign for us that we might believe? And Jesus basically told them, because they don't really accept signs, the only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. Well, here's a sign. And they're saying in their council meeting, he keeps performing signs. So maybe they should believe instead of having a business meeting to determine what to do with him. Maybe they should they. The Messiah's here. I move that we disband because he's the king and he's the chief priest. We're no longer needed. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Well, if he is the Messiah, Rome is going to have no ability to take away him or the nation because He's the Messiah, the one God has sent. I suspect that, that they're concerned with their own position. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. Here's a guy that's kind of arrogant. You guys don't know what you're talking about. 
nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. He's gone. Here's the answer to the problem. It's expedient. It's the quickest way to avoid our problem is for Jesus to die rather than the nation crumble. Now, he did not say this of his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus is going to die for the nation and not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God or scattered abroad. Now, the wisdom here is just because somebody gets something right in the Word of God doesn't mean they're right. He is prophesying because he is the high priest, and God is using that prophecy to tell what's going on. But Caiaphas, as high priest, is like a broken clock. It's right twice a day. So simply because you hear somebody say something that sounds like the truth in the Scriptures, you need to examine all what they have to say, not just because they got right one time. So Caiaphas says, we got this covered. He dies. We stay in power. All's good. So from that day on, they plan together to kill him. The Sanhedrin now makes it as their policy, the death of Jesus. It's no longer just to trap him in something, to turn him, the people against him. It is for them to put Jesus out of their misery. Therefore, Jesus no longer continued to walk publicly among the Jews, but went away from there to the country near the wilderness into a city called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. So we see Jesus moving out of Bethany to the border regions, to the city of Ephraim. He's continuing to teach his disciples. He's continuing to preach and to do, but he has moved from that area. Why? Because it's not yet Passover. It is not yet time, as Daniel predicts, and as Zechariah predicts, that there be one who comes on a donkey colt. He's going to come on that day, the exact day Daniel predicts. He is going to come on the way to Jerusalem, the exact way that Zechariah predicts. Not because they predicted it, but because that's what he did, and the prophets saw it from afar. So he leaves not in fear of death. He leaves because the timing is not yet right. So in this passage, we see that Jesus loves, and yet sometimes he doesn't act right away. 
we see that Jesus tells us that he is the resurrection and the life, and that you, in your story, will not end in death. And that in between that time and now, let's get rid of the burial clothes, put on the robe of righteousness, and praise him, and declare his glory, because he's worthy of it. And quite frankly, I do not want to be embarrassed that the rocks do a better job at declaring his glory than I do a redeemed. So in this story that I hope you've used your imagination, that this story will not soon leave your memory. But then the next time, it seems that God is afar off. You remember that maybe he's waiting to present greater glory. And all God's people said,